We'll be reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So hear now God's word, for he does indeed speak through his word. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not, might, may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word. We pray that you would give us an understanding of it. pray that you would equip us this morning to be able to select the men that you have already set apart to serve in the office of elder and deacon. Help us to be wise in this and pray that this would be to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Throughout the span of God's history, God has called his servants into service through many different ways. He directly called some of his Old Testament prophets. For instance, uh, you might remember God appeared directly to Moses in the burning bush, and he called the prophet Samuel through an audible voice. And once he had appointed these men to their prophetic office, he then used these prophets to call kings and, and priests into service, such as when Moses called his brother Aaron to be the high priest over Israel, or when Samuel was sent to call David to be king over Israel. And all these men, these prophets, priests, kings, they were all pointing ahead as types of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who was our great prophet, priest, and king, who God set apart by his own authority directly. And when Jesus came in his earthly ministry, one of his primary tasks was to directly call some men, the apostles, who would carry forward with his authority the, the message of salvation. So the very word of God incarnate, called these men to be apostles. And then at Pentecost, something happened where God sent Christ's Spirit upon the entire church universally, 
And now the, the church as a whole has been given Christ's spirit and carries forward this message of salvation under the leadership of the apostolic authority with the authority of Christ Jesus. And one of those tasks that we have been given, that the church has been given, is to call those men who have been charged to serve as elders and deacons to lead the church of Jesus Christ. And if that's one of our tasks, I think it's, it's right for us to ask, who, is, who are these men that we need to call or that we ought to call? Who is fit for it? Um, you might remember when Samuel went to call David, the Lord spoke to him directly. The Lord was giving him clear and direct communication. And as uh, the first of David's brothers, the oldest, came, Samuel thought, certainly this is the man. And God said, no, this is not the man. Don't look at his outward appearance, for the Lord looks at the heart. And as the brothers were paraded in front of Samuel, each one God rejected until he got to David. And he said, that's the one. Anoint him. And when we understand the task of the elder and the task of the deacon and the responsibility that the church has, recognizing that this task of who we select as men, who we call to be officers in the church, this is a weighty task. Because uh, we're when a man is called to office, that will change the trajectory of his life forever. That will change the complexion of the church, and it will have a direct impact on you and your family. And we might, in response to that, say, well, Lord, sir, sure would be nice if you would give us a direct indication as far as which men we should say yes to and which men we should say no to. And what the good news is, is that God has given us direct revelation about who we ought to select as men to be elders or deacons. He has given us his very word, his infallible word, and he speaks clearly to us so that we can look at this, these qualifications and say, not this man, but yes, this man. And that's what we need to see in this passage today is that God instructs us who are qualified men to serve as officers in his church. And by his spirit, he gives us wisdom and discernment to know which men meet these qualifications. So the passage has really kind of three different parts. There's the qualifications for elders or overseers. There's qualifications for deacons. And then there's one verse in there that talks to wives or speaks to wives. And so we'll look at those three different uh, groupings. We'll start with the elders. This is the, the longer of the two. It's got 14 qualifications, which is about double of those of the deacons. Um, and we need to see, as we look through these, we'll see personal and interpersonal qualifications. By that I mean personal uh, holiness, wisdom, self-discipline types of characteristics, but also interpersonal, how they relate to other people. And it's worth noting that these are all observable characteristics that our God gives us. The Lord looks at the heart. We can't see the heart. And yet God has told us 
through Jesus Christ, that out of the abundance of the heart, we speak, we act. And so God has given us observable characteristics by which we can evaluate whether a man is qualified to serve in these offices. And so we'll, we'll look at that. And the, the very first one that he gives there in verse 2 is a overseer must be above reproach. Obviously, this cannot mean that he is sinless, but it means that there is no uh, observable or offensive way in him that would immediately cause uh, disgrace to the man or dishonor to the church. He is above reproach. He cannot be reproached. And we see that above reproach kind of fleshed out in a number of different areas within the man's life. And one of the first ones is the very next qualification where it says, the husband of one wife. Uh, Literally, the Greek says that this is a one-woman man. One-woman man. And there's a a lot of debate over what exactly this qualification is all about. I think we we can summarize what God is getting at with this. An officer's life must exemplify God's design and purpose for marital faithfulness and sexual purity. It must exemplify God's design and purpose for marital faithfulness and sexual purity. So whether the man is married or not, does this man set an example for the flock with how he conducts himself with women? Um, An elder... And a deacon, primarily an elders, who are called to set the example for the flock. And marriage, we, we know in Ephesians chapter 5, is an image of Christ's love for the church. And so if there's going to be an example, more, there's no clearer example than um, how an elder lives with his wife or conducts his, himself with his wife. Um, and so that needs to be exemplary. Um, Clearly, a man who is adulterous would be disqualified, but also uh, situations where the man's outward dealings with women seems inappropriate or sets a poor example for the flock. Is he a a womanizing type of man? Is he given to pornography? Um, That those things would disqualify a man because he is not faithful, exhibiting that exemplary faithfulness for his wife. And what this can't mean, or does not mean, is a man who has had one wife ever. Uh, by that, um, it's, it's going too far to say that a man must be married in order to serve. Uh, single men who, have, who conduct themselves in a pure way and set an example for purity uh, would, would not be disqualified. Nor would a man who is a widower who, whose wife has died, even if he's remarried. Uh, scripture gives clear prescriptions that that is, that is not sin, that is not a, uh, a dishonorable thing. Uh, there is debate as far as um, whether a man who has been divorced could rightly serve as an elder. And um, we don't have enough time to, to thoroughly tease out this whole discussion, but we can say this clearly. We can say that God hates divorce, and elders set examples. So 
while we might disagree about whether a divorce in the past, repented of or not, biblical or not, is an immediate and absolute disqualifier for a man serving as an elder, what we can confidently say is that we should pray that our God raises up men whose marriages are examples of the love and faithfulness that God calls us to, marriages that have been preserved by his preserving grace. So that's husband of one wife. The next three are uh, qualifications are related. A man is to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Sober-minded, he is to be wise in the way he thinks, and self-controlled, he is to be wise in the way he lives. And when he's living with a sober mind and he is living with self-control in his life, that results in a respectability. He is respectable. Uh, the, the, the people of God are called, commanded to respect and honor their elders. Um, and God is saying that elders ought to be respectable. It shouldn't be an, a, uh, a burden for God's people to respect those men who have been set as examples above them. Uh, the next two qualifications deal with how an individual relates to other people. The first is hospitable. And um, while certainly this would include a man's willingness to invite people into their home and make them feel welcome, it's something far deeper than that. Uh, a hospitable heart uh, is, is one that's deeper. So you may be familiar with the word uh, xenophobia. Xenophobia means a fear of outsiders or a fear, fear of those that don't, don't belong. Uh, this word that Paul uses is almost the opposite, xenophilia, a love of outsiders. A, a man with a hospitable, who is hospitable in the sense that Paul is getting at here, it has a love for those who are not of those who belong. It, we, as a, as a church, as a body of Christ, we need to be welcoming those who are uh, from outside. We need to be pursuing the outcast, the, the one who is uh, who doesn't know Christ, and elders set the example with that love of outsiders. That's what he's getting at with that. Um, next, he's able to teach. That doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to be a uh, eloquent order, praise God, or a dynamic speaker necessarily, but it does mean that he needs to have a knowledge of the scriptures, a readiness to teach when called upon, and then an ability to communicate clearly and truthfully uh, the Word of God. Elders are the ones that are charged with the primary leadership of the ministry of the Word. And that is a ministry, that is a word that is tr passed down from generation to generation. Elders must be able to teach. They must be able to instruct, encourage, exhort, from God's word, but then also as we read from Titus, they need to be able to discern false doctrine and refute it, refute it uh, with the truth. 
Paul then goes to four different qualifications that are the nots. First, he's saying not a drunkard. Uh, That doesn't mean that he does not drink alcohol. It means that he is not given to the excess or the abuse of alcohol. Not only does he need to be sober-minded, he needs to be sober in practice. Um, Next, not violent, but gentle. Um, A man who is harsh or abrasive or a bully, either physically or verbally, uh, ought not to serve as an elder. You might remember a couple weeks ago we read um, a portion from Ezekiel chapter 34 where God was indicting the false shepherds or the wicked shepherds of Israel. And one of the charges that he had against those shepherds was that you have treated my sheep roughly. God has no tolerance for shepherds that would abuse his sheep or treat them roughly. He says that must not violent but gentle. A third knot is not quarrelsome. He needs to not be one who cultivates or initiates quarrel upon quarrel. Uh, He does need to engage in rebuke of some of these things, but not be one who is given to quarrels. And then, fourthly, not a lover of money. You might remember from 1 Peter 5, one of the things that Peter had said to elders is that they should not be shepherding for gain or shameful gain. A man who is given to a love of money might be tempted to use his office for gain, for his own uh, benefit and abuse that office. And then he wraps up with three more qualifications that each one of the qualifications he gives a reason for that qualification. The first is, in verse 4, he says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And the reason gives us an important truth about this office and about this role and about the men that we ought to call to this uh, position. How a man manages his home is indicative of how he will manage the church. Serving in the church will not be easier or less complex than leading in the home. It will be more complex, more confusing at times, much more difficult. And if you think about the role, the task that is given to elders. They are called to teach the truth. They are to rebuke error. They are to know the flock. They are to care for the flock. At times they are called to discipline the flock. All those things are clear, clearly translate to the role of fathers. So as we evaluate we consider men for the office of elder, we have to ask, how does he care for the souls in his home? And if he is not leading effectively in the home, Paul says to us, we shouldn't expect that he would be able to effectively lead us in the church. And, 
you know, this is one of the qualifications that I think we tend to chafe under quite a bit. Um, if, if you remember what we just read from Titus chapter 1, he's, Paul says to Titus, he says that an elder, an elder's children must be believers or faithful and not open to the charge of insubordination or debauchery. And we have a hard time with this because we know that as fathers, we don't have ultimate control over our kids. Our kids have a certain level of independence, and there's only so much that we can do. So we can't truly control this. But I think that's the point. Because that's no less true in the church. And yet Hebrews 13 says that the leaders are, will give an account for the souls under their care. And a shepherd teaches and pleads and rebukes with all patience and seeks to woo to Christ, even when you can't control the outcome. And a shepherd needs to humble himself when he errs and he needs to give himself for the flock in order that he might lead them in obedience and faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, there is no place where we will have more direct influence over another soul under our care than in the home. We'll, there'll be no place where we have greater time for ministry than in the home. So when we consider these men, are they evangelizing their children with the gospel of grace? Are they making the gospel beautiful uh, before their kids? Do their kids see the love of Christ in their father? And does he point them to Christ even while he submits himself to Christ? And then Paul says, let's look at the kids to see whether he's been effective with that ministry. There are a lot of men that can be theologically competent or administratively gifted and yet unskilled as shepherds. But God would have us call men to shepherd this flock. You need a shepherd in your life. And so he calls us to look at man's family. Uh, the next qualification is he says um, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. First Peter 5 made clear that humility is an essential bedrock of the service of an elder even within the church and one of the insidious ways that pride can sneak in is by hastily laying hands on a man before he is ready. A man ought to be humbled by the trials of life, his faith tested in the midst of the high times and the low times, and he must grow soft-hearted as he experiences the love of Christ in the midst of his life. And then the last qualification for elders is he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This man needs to be a man of integrity, 
in his relationship with Christ and his faith walk, not just in the church, but also outside the church. There must be a unity of his life, regardless of the context, so that he's bearing the aroma of Christ and not bringing disgrace upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we move from the qualifications of elders to the qualifications of deacons in verse 8. This list is about half the size of the qualifications for elders, and there's quite a bit of overlap. Uh, At least four of the qualifications are effectively identical with elders. Um, Elders are called to not be drunkards, deacons not addicted to much wine. Elders uh, not to be lovers of money, Deacons, not greedy for dishonest gain. They both must be one-woman man, men, and they both must manage their household well. And even this uh, very first qualification, he must be dignified, uh, has some connection with the elders needing to be above reproach or uh, what Paul says that with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Like the, uh, to only two of the, the seven that seem fairly unique is the first is not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. The man's yes must be yes and his no must be no. You need to be able to believe every word that comes out of his mouth that he will say what he means and means what he says. There ought to be an integrity of speech um, in a, a man who would serve as a deacon. And then this, the other unique qualification, which is probably the primary distinction between these two offices, is that he, Paul says um, they must hold, this is verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Both offices must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, but elders must be able to teach it. That's not to say that deacons can't teach it, as Acts Seven, chapter 7 and chapter 8 show us the, the, the man who was set apart to be a deacon, Stephen, taught, the man Philip taught, and they taught it exceptional, the gospel exceptionally well. But what we need to see is that deacons may teach, elders must be able to teach. So we have the elders, we have the deacons, and then in verse 11 we have this one verse that talks about wives. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And you may know that this verse, there's some debate whether this is referring to deaconesses, like a female deacon, or whether this is referring to wives. But for sound, interpretive, or exegetical purposes, and with theological consistency with the whole of Scripture, it is right for us to see this as referring to wives. But you might wonder, why why in the world would there be a qualification in there about wives? Um, We need to start by saying that when we call a man to be an elder or a deacon, we are calling the man. We are not calling his wife. There's no office of elder's wife or deacon's wife. So we need to be very careful about what expectations we place on these dear women And yet, if we think about what we know about marriage, God has joined the two into one. They are pursuing unity. Uh, The woman, the wife will, will influence her husband's ministry. She will. 
A man's priority is, his ministry priority is first to his wife, then to his family, then to those outside the home. And the wife has the ability to either help or to hurt, to build up or to tear down. And so we must look at the woman along with her man. But there's only four qualifications that Paul lists here, but we could look at Titus chapter 2 to see a list of other things that we ought to be looking for in these women, godly traits of godly women. Um, In this list, like her husband, the wife must be dignified and uh, sober-minded, but she's also called to not be a slanderer. She cannot use her tongue to tear down her husband, other officers, members of the church. She needs to build up with her mouth, not tear down. But also faithful in all things, it says. She needs to be both trustworthy, but also sound in her faith. She needs to be a support and a help for her husband. So as we look over these qualifications, uh, I don't know if you feel it, I feel it. This is an incredibly high standard that God sets for these men. And we can rightly say that there is no man alive today on earth that will perfectly meet those qualifications. Um, But what we need to see is that these qualifications are characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ and his character. Only he perfectly met these qualifications. But at the same time, we can't cast these qualifications aside as unnecessary or unattainable. We just can't. If you look through this list, each of the lists for elders, for deacons, for wives, contains this word, must. An overseer must. Deacons must. Wives must. The, the Greek word also has the sense of it is necessary. These, this is the qualification, these are the qualifications God has given to the church for how we evaluate whether or not these men are called. And a faithful and wise church will use these qualifications wisely to evaluate whether the man is called. Only Christ is perfect, and yet the Spirit of Christ dwells in and lives in those men whom he is calling to these offices. He is working these characteristics, these qualifications, in the lives of these men. The standard is not perfect adherence. But I think we can say it's complete adherence. It's complete. There is, we, we must exhibit grace as we think of, uh, think through these things. But we can't make excuses. We can't turn a blind eye to qualifications um, when there's observable deficiencies. And I think what happens is, uh, so often in the, when you're looking for a job and, a, and there's a job posting in the corporate world, they put all these th- things that are needed. And so often they fluff, it, they fluff up the list with 
man, this would be the perfect person, but nobody meets that. And, you know, you're trying to give a picture of, of what that job is. But, you know, I don't, I don't have this particular qualification or I, I haven't learned this skill. And they say, that's fine. You, you probably won't really use that anyway. It's, we're just trying to shoot in that general direction. But that's not what God's doing here. He's not just trying to get us in the right direction. Any one of these things could be detrimental to the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be very careful. But at the same time, we need to praise God that God calls imperfect men to be shepherds, to be elders and deacons, because, man, it would be really hard for a perfect man to identify well with the flock and to show compassion in the midst of our weakness. And you might say, well, the Lord Jesus Christ was perfect. Yes, but he entered into our weakness so that he would understand us, so that he would be able to show us compassion and to bear with us. And praise God that God works in men to raise them up, to, to have these characteristics so that we might be able to see visible examples of Christ-likeness as we seek to grow up into Christ. But we also have to be careful that we don't see these qualifications as uh, meaning that we must call a man who meets these qualifications. It's not the same thing as to say he's qualified as he must serve. We still talk about the, the notion of an inward call and an outward call. So from an inward call, does the man have the desire to serve? Remember what we talked about from 1 Peter chapter 5, not under compulsion. Does the man have uh, the, the time to serve? Does, is he in a good place spiritually for him to serve? Is, he, is his family in a wise place? But also from an outward call, we're not obligated to call every man that meets these situations. There could be good practical reasons to wait. And if you remember from Acts chapter 6, the apostles didn't tell the congregation, well, let's just find every man who's qualified and make him a deacon. He said, let's choose seven. Seven. So whatever their reason was, they had a reason for seven. And we might have practical reasons as well. There are going to be some men who might meet both of these qualifications, elders and deacons. And you might wonder, how do I know whether I should nominate a man for elder or deacon? To that I'd say, well, certainly pray that the Lord would give you guidance about that. Um, but consider, and maybe you're a man wrestling through your own sense of calling, whether you feel called to elder or deacon. We think about the two tasks of these two offices, it can be helpful to say, do I desire or does this man desire to lead the ministry of the word by teaching and prayer, an upfront ministry of the word, or is he better equipped or have more of a desire to serve in a way so that he's caring for the flock and removing the roadblocks so that the ministry of the word can move forward. And we can't underestimate, we can't understate the critical nature of our task. Because as the leaders go, so goes the church. Please be, be praying for 
wisdom in our selection process, in our evaluation process, and throughout this whole thing, pray that God will give us the wisdom to evaluate. Pray now for who you will, who you might nominate. The men who are nominated for office will go through a officer training program where they will test those gifts to seek whether or not they are uh, called to this office and they will be evaluated. And as they do, pray for those men. Get to know those men. Try to discern whether you think those men are called to that office and encourage them. Either encourage them with where you see their gifts or encourage them with where you see concerns. Have those conversations. You are a part of the spiritual growth of your brothers. You are your brother's keepers. So take that job seriously. Every couple of years in our country, we have a, an election process where we select, we vote for the, the men or women that uh, will serve in this country at the various levels. But beloved, our God has given us a joyous responsibility that is even of greater importance and more direct influence over our lives because our God has given us the task of selecting and calling men who will lead God's church and care for God's people. May God give us the grace and the wisdom to do what is pleasing in his sight for his glory and for our benefit. Let's pray together. Lord, what a uh, immense task that you have given to us, but how glorious that you make us part of the process. Would you help us to be wise? Would you raise up men that will care for us would you help us to encourage them and hold them up in their ministry, even in this process of discerning their call? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, our hymn of response.